This podcast is presented by the Ed Narrative, a place for reflective discourse on education. Visit theednarrative.com to subscribe to this podcast and blog. You may also find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. As always, please remember to leave a review or comments to help us grow this community of educators. Hey, welcome to episode 11 of the Ed Narrative Podcast. My name is Darren Ralston. I am the producer of this podcast. Um, You'll notice my voice sounds a little off. I apologize. I am fighting a head cold, uh, have been for a couple days now. Um, Luckily, when I was having my conversation with Bob Garrity, who we'll be talking with this time around, um, I was in perfect health. (laughs) Anyway... Um, I do want to uh, to thank him again ahead of ahead of getting into the main body of this because uh, because I, I very foolishly started off our conversation by recording it through the computer microphone rather than the microphones that I run through the board, which sounds so much better. Um, anyway, so we did a second take after we'd gotten about ten minutes in and had gotten into a really good conversation about um, how he got into the into the field and also uh, we, we talked a little bit about music he plays the drums so I appreciate him being a good sport and I learned a lot from, from talking with him a um, couple other things just to uh, put a heads up for you our next episode I managed to get that one lined up uh, I'll be talking with John Almerode who just published the uh, uh, visible Learning and Science book came out in March. Uh, I've known him for a while, so it'll be good to uh, sit down with him. We've also got a couple other things coming down the pike past that, uh, some things I'm working on haven't quite finalized yet. So anyway, I'm glad you're listening, and uh, why don't we go ahead and get started? Yeah, let's, let's go ahead and do take two. Yeah, I'm a mediator. We never plan too far in advance. Right, yeah. <laughs> you roll with you the punches. Can. You can. You don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, so restorative practices um, is a, uh, an array of things that teachers, educators can do with, with students from the very personal skills level to from just being aware of things, having a positive attitude towards kids, being a, you know, smiling, being kind to kids, um, being culturally responsive as an educator mm-hmm. um, so that you have a frame of mind that is open to lots of different things. So would you say, you mentioned culturally responsive, and I know you've been doing a little bit of work here at Albemarle High Mm -hmm. School with that. Um, Is that something that's always been a part of it, or is it something that you've kind of had folded in as it's sort of picked up? uh, Well, I've seen other other places that do restorative practices work, and um, I, when I started doing restorative practices training and work, I made sure that culturally responsiveness Mm -hmm. was part of the training, because, uh, and then it turned out to be the right thing to do because the research that has come out on um, the disparity of discipline as stated by the federal research but also the disproportionality of discipline as um, was the theme of last summer's classroom not courtrooms um, conference in Richmond which was oh, an, initiative, okay. an initiative of Governor McAuliffe um, the disparity of three to one where African American Latino and some special ed students are suspended three times more often than white students in our right. schools nationwide. Yeah, no, I've heard I've heard those those stats. The sped students that you're talking about, you say some sped students. Is it a specific type of identification, or is it just that that group in general is more vulnerable to uh, higher discipline? 
I don't know the definitive details on okay. that, but I'm okay. assuming That's the fair. latter, that, that group. Okay. Um, so the restorative practices efforts, first of all, in the one-to-one approach to students, I was talking a moment ago about the frame of mind. That's one element. And then there's one-to-one skills, mm-hmm. listening skills, um, affective statement skills, such as positive uh, praise for kids in, in the class or a private redirection for kids when they're doing something you really don't like. Right, um, right. But you do that on the side because mm-hmm. um, the emotional effect of putting them out in front of everybody and calling them out, as Zaretta Hammond says in her Culture Responsive Teaching book, um, the the chemicals in the brain, cortisol she mentions, right. yeah. will start running and when a person feels unsafe or threatened um, socially, emotionally, or intellectually, the cortisol flows, the, bot, the brain goes into more of a fight-or-flight mode, and mm-hmm. they're, not, they're not able to learn. Right. So if there's a conflict in the classroom between kids or a conflict between teacher and student, and that happens to the child, their openness to learning, their ability to learn from, from the chemistry of the brain is reduced. In contrast, the open approach to you know, the, the sort of respectful approach to the kids, the speaking in... Um, positive language or redirecting language on the side privately Mm -hmm. um, helps prevent the the cortisol response and the the shutting down response which keeps which actually results in oxytocin Mm -hmm. chemicals in the brain which makes the person much more comfortable and makes the brain more open to learning so if a kid feels trusted in the classroom by the teacher and by the environment they're much more open to learning than if they don't feel trusted and so restorative practices really helps with that. So if you have that frame of mind, if you're doing these one-to-one speaking and listening skills, especially listening skills, um, because if a kid, a kid or an adult feels heard, they're much more trusting of the person who's, who's listening to them. Um, I've been in many situations as a mediator and facilitator where people are in conflict, and I always do a pre-conference interview with each person that I'm referred to I never put people together in the same space in conflict without pre-conference well so I know what the story is and they get to know me and we build rapport and we build trust Mm -hmm. so that they feel safe and comfortable with me because I'm not telling them what to do I'm not telling them that what they did was wrong or bad as a a facilitator mediator Mm -hmm. I'm listening to them in a private session prior to inviting them to a joint session with the other person if they want to and it's all voluntary. And that helps build the trust, and that helps make them more open, if they want to, to participate. Um, I really like this Zaretta Hammond book with the chemistry of the brain information that goes in, because it, we've kind of been talking about that over the years, but she gives a nice definition to it with yeah, the science. Yeah, she does. And, um, <clears throat> you know, that also that idea of the fight, flight, and I've, when I was talking with Sarah, um, she added uh, freeze, and then I also heard recently collapse on one. I was like, oh my gosh, this is getting intense, right? But um, yeah, I, all of that stuff with the brain science is really, I don't know, it's starting to come to the front more when it comes to how we interact with kids in school setting. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, I guess when you interact with anybody. With anybody, really. with anybody. I see with adults when I'm doing a mediation session or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so coming across this array from the, from the frame of mind to the personal one-to-one skills to then classroom circles is another one of the restorative practices. Mm-hmm. And that's doing like an eight to 10-minute classroom circle in your middle or high school, maybe once a week. Some teachers do it mm-hmm. every two weeks. 
and it's taking about eight to ten minutes to help build community in your classroom. And the circle, the classroom circle, is key to the whole thing. I think it's foundational. You're talking about the regular, like weekly, like once thing. a week or every. T- one, there's a teacher in a local high school who we did we gave her a presentation on how to run classroom circles. She was a little cautious about it, a little uncertain about it. In January, she started doing them after the the winter break. Okay. And she's done about four circles since the winter break, and she's already she's feeling a much more close-knit community in her classroom and she's actually having some results that she wasn't expecting now it's it's correlation which may not be causation but right, yeah. one thing she said was after she did her first classroom circle which was just an eight minute i was there to to observe uh just a pleasant getting to know you kind of circle uh not content oriented with her with english teaching english she said the next time the class did an assignment that required presentations she said she was getting maybe 50 percent response on kids wanting to do presentations mm-hmm. she got a hundred percent response nice. of kids were doing their presentations in the classroom and she's wondering if that circle that she did helped build community already mm-hmm. in, a, in a new way that resulted in kids feeling safer to speak in front of each other on academic topics right. So what kind of things would somebody do if they're running a community <clears throat> circle like that? Basically, we have a structure where you start with, welcome, thank you all for coming to the circle today. Right. After you've invited them to circle right, up. Right. It could be a standing circle if you've got those big heavy science tables that you can't move <laughs> or furniture yeah. issues. Right. It can be a sitting circle. Um, but once you have the folks sitting in some sort of a circle or square or something like that, uh, open with a welcome. Um state the purpose of your circle the purpose of our circle today is to get better acquainted and build our community that's Mm -hmm. what that teacher's saying okay um even if it's january she's saying that because she's finding some kids don't know each other in her class yeah um it's amazing how you can be in a classroom for so long and realize that some of these kids they they just aren't connecting mm -hmm. at all even though they're sitting in the same room day after day yeah and so then that what their comfort level with each other may affect the way they operate mm-hmm. academically in front of the, each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so after we welcome and state the purpose, then we it, the first circle you do in your classroom, you establish norms for the circle. You already have norms for your expectations for your classroom. You've already right. got norms for your school. This is just for the circle. So some of them are already covered by your classroom norms. But this is you know such things as... Um, let's use a talking piece and take turns and go around and right. not interrupt Pass each other. Let's be open to others' ideas, you know, various things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just like three to five positively stated norms. The next step is to pose a question. Um, and uh, the question is not an academic question. It's not, you know, there. I like to think of levels of questions, level one, level two, level three. Level one being comfortable and safe. Mm-hmm. So the kids might want to want to talk in a circle mm-hmm. uh, level two questions get into a little more beliefs and values which are a little more risky for some kids yeah level three questions get into sort of political beliefs and and controversial things um you know for example what if, if you were to pose a question so what is your thought about the current state of the congress and the presidency that would be a level three question yeah. Yeah, it <laughs> which would. could and create it, a lot of upset or and uh, it could be a difficult <laughs> question for some kids they might not know yeah right and, or it might have you might have kids with real strong opinions fussing mm-hmm. with each other in the circle. Well, you definitely would. And yeah. if you're trying to build community, hold that kind of a question. Until <laughs> All right, let's you've it, really yeah. got the system down. So what we recommend is start with level one questions, such as you know, um, let's tell us your name and where you were born, mm-hmm. or um, what color is your family car, or what's a musical group or a sports group that you really like. Mm-hmm. Um, 
something light and not not too challenging, mm -hmm. just to build community. We have a whole list of examples uh, of yeah. level well, one. Well, and it questions. sounds like those kinds of questions are things that you could even just use in general to start any type of conversation one-on-one, mm -hmm. -on -one, right? Because it seems like that's kind of what is happening with that structure, am I right? Yep, absolutely. And the purpose of the circle is not to sell, save the world with deep discussion at this point. Right. We might get into that later or in your social studies class. God, that'd be but, great. But um, <laughs> it's just to create a format of using the circle and using the positive quest, you know, the, the, the comfortable question, but having a structure that's safe for the kids. The norms help make it safe mm -hmm. for the kids. Mm -hmm. The routine of the structure make it safe for the kids. Mm -hmm. um, so after you pose the question, maybe that's the only question you pose. Just a light question like where were you born it goes around the circle but what happens in just that question where were you born is you'll, around here you'll hear kids say charlottesville charlottesville ohio mm -hmm. you know california california oh two from california and mm -hmm. and what happens is kids get new information mm -hmm. they uh, find common ground between each other and among each other like oh i didn't know you were from there I, yeah I, and I then they can there. my mom's from and, there yeah and then it also may generate some curiosity that they might want to ask each other about later mm -hmm. Um, and those three elements, information, common ground, and, com and curiosity, helps build community. Um, so now they know more about each other. They might want to engage with each other later. Um, so we've welcomed, we've stated the purpose, we've reviewed the norms, we've um, posed a question. And then you might want to close the, the circle um, with an activity. Okay. And think about facilitators' icebreaker activities, uh, just lightweight, kind of fun things. Right. Um, one thing I, I often often do that I saw in a responsive classroom thing for elementary, which I can work great with high school, works great with school administrators yeah. <laughs> that I was training two months ago, is just we're going to do a little greeting to go around. We're going to close our circle today with a, with a greeting mm -hmm. to the person next to you. And the way we're going to do it is um, I'm, going to, I'm going to turn to Darren here and I'm going to say, good morning, Darren. And you're going to say, good morning, Bob. Good morning, Bob. And then we're going to do a little gentle fist bump. Uh -huh. And you can do sparkles if you'd like to come off of this one. <laughs> sparkles. And I have heard that one before. You know how you do the yeah. waving hand. Yeah. Um, and so let's just practice that. Right. Good morning, Darren. Good morning, Bob. Um, and, and then that person, you then turn to the next person and do the same thing. And the same the exact thing or you same just like exact same thing. process? Same thing. Good morning, okay. Mary. Good morning, Darren. You know, and mm -hmm. all the way around the circle, and it's just a fun little activity. But if you watch it, mm -hmm. you'll see smiles, you'll see laughter with each other, not at each other. Mm -hmm. um, you will um, hear people asking each other's question of the name, like, "Sorry, I don't know your name," or right. somebody be looking at somebody, looking at them like, "You don't know my name," and just giving it to them. So, yeah. you know, Bob, <laughs> Bob. Yeah. Um, and so, what happens in the circle is you you're kind of making circles fun. Mm -hmm. So it's a very, and then you close the circle with a transition statement where you say, well, thank you all for coming to our circle today. We'll be meeting again in about two weeks uh, to have another circle to help build our community. And uh, would you now please put the chairs back to our tables and take out your this and that so we can get ready for this next step. Mm -hmm. So you give them a clear transition statement of how right. to end. So the welcome is an opening ceremony and the transition statement is a closing ceremony. So it's an entity during the period it's mm -hmm. not you don't just carry it into academics you know just make it this own its own its own thing mm -hmm. um that's a proactive community building circle that's right. a key restorative practice um you'll also find that responsive classroom for elementary uses the morning meeting 
very similar. You'll find that the um, developmental designs group, which is sort of like responsive classroom for secondary school, uses the circle of power and respect, CPR. Oh, right. And yeah. they, they do the circle. You'll find that the Olvaeus bullying prevention model uses a class meeting once a week. So it's the class meeting, the circle, the gathering, the community building that is key to all of these other programs um, in a restorative practices we just call it the classroom circle. Right, right, right. So coming up the array of, of activity, we've gotten the uh, restorative practices, we've got the frame of mind and cultural responsiveness, we've got this one-to-one skills with kids, we've got the classroom circle, now we're getting more complex with more people. Right. And then we get into what about if there's harm? What about if there's wrongdoing? Yeah. What about if there's conflict? Well, then you have two two good ways to work that out. One is mediation is a restorative practice mm-hmm. when two kids are kind of equals in conflict. Can I stop you for a second? Sure. So when I, I wanted to make sure we got into mediation too. Sure. Um, is there a different sort of picture t- of mediation if you're doing it in the restorative practice mindset or is it pretty much the same compared to like, you know, sort of the standard mediation work that, that you started doing early on yes no and yes yes no and yes okay (laughs) great all right so move on to the next question so when when you look at an an array of practices that people will call restorative practices Mm -hmm. some theorists practitioners and so on will not include the term mediation in that process they'll they'll do do why that is they'll call it a response a restorative conference okay um so i like to differentiate between and my work is kind of a hybrid of those now. Okay. Um, but I like to differentiate between if you have equals in conflict, where the Howard Zare model of restorative justice was one harm clearly harmed the other. It was one way harm because mm-hmm. it was coming out of the the judicial system back in the '60s when right. Howard Zare from Eastern Mennonite started writing about uh, restorative justice, and that was based on. I broke into your house, I stole things from your house, damaged the windows, chomped mud on the floor, you right. came home and found all of this, you took me to, I got arrested. Yeah, I had seen, I actually <coughs> saw a uh, video of a session that was done, I think in Ireland, with mm-hmm. a purse snatching, mm-hmm. and that was pretty intense. Yeah, and that's one person clearly harmed another. Yes, there it was, was absolutely clear. There was wrongdoing. Yeah. So that's one-way harm, and the restorative conference is the model for that. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a... A pretty complex process because you want to include the one who did the harm mm-hmm. and the one who was harmed but it all hinges on whether the one who was harmed wants to participate it's a voluntary right. process for everyone mm-hmm. so if I did harm to you and the justice system or the facilitator comes to you and says you know we'd like to consider this you know and, and I'd like to hear what's on your mind and what happened and explain how this works mm-hmm. and see if it's something you might want to do um, and you can always say, no, thank you. Right. Take him to court, put him in jail. Yep. <laughs> you know? And then the yeah. other, visiting with the one who did the harm, you know, is this something you want to do? The judge will often say in the courts, you know, I'm going to, the sentencing guidelines say I should do this, but I have the option to offer you a restorative process, restorative justice process. Mm-hmm. And we have facilitators that will handle that for you if you would like. And if you choose to do that, then this will be your sentence. If you don't choose to do that, then this will be your sentence. So it's not a bribe. It's just a reality. Right. Um, and and some folks will opt for the restorative justice option with a change in the sentence. Mm-hmm. Um, but they have to be a sincere participant. Right. They have to, first of all, acknowledge they did it. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, we're not going to put the harmed person in the circle with someone who said, well, you know, maybe I did this. Right. Yeah. That sets them up for harm again. Mm-hmm. So the restorative conference is a very carefully prepared, structured process where you might have the one who was harmed and a support person in the circle with them, the one who did the harm and a support person for them, people who represent the community in the circle. So it's a it's a larger gathering than just the two people right. that were in the incident. It's the it sort of represents the community and the support people. And the support person for the one who did the harm is not there to blame the one or who was harmed or to say my person didn't do this. It's not a trial. Right. At the beginning of the meeting you will ask something like, so we're here for the incident in which so and so did this to so and so and he has admitted that he did this. Is that correct? And then the person says, right. yes, I did. Yeah, I've, I've read through a script for that process, and that's in there. You know, yeah. basically, let's get that out and clear the air with that, because if we've already got that down, then we can talk about the, the rest of it. Yeah, it's a restorative process, not a competitive argument about who did what. Mm-hmm. It's, a acknowledge, it's an acknowledgment of what happened, and then how do we make things right for the one that was harmed and for the community that was harmed. Right. Because if somebody does wrongdoing or harm, they're not just affecting the one they did it to. They're also affecting the community. For example, if I break into your house and do stuff, well, your neighbors might start buying alarms and putting fences up. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's going to affect their – your your brother might call from Cleveland and say, why don't you move here? It's much safer here. You know, mm-hmm. people are affected by harm and wrongdoing. And so the restorative conference – addresses that mm-hmm. mediation can also do that sometimes we'll have mediation with extra people besides the two in the conflict so let's back up to mediation for a okay. second so as we're coming up this across this array of uh, restorative practices from the frame of mind to the personal skills to the circles in classrooms to how to respond to conflict well if it's equals in conflict which is most of the things that happen in school in school you do have an occasional Someone clearly harmed the other. It was one-way harm. Mm-hmm. But most of the time, um, the conflicts we deal with in schools are a lot of drama, you know, yeah. the, where kids are saying this about another kid. And, and then it just it explodes. Gets on, it gets on that social media, and it explodes. Yeah. And, and a lot of kids are responding to secondhand information. Mm-hmm. You know, they heard from someone else, either verbally or on, on some sort of texting system, that someone else said something about them in a negative way. And so they're reacting to that secondhand information that they got from a trusted person who, of course, would only tell them the truth. Yes. But as we know from the telephone game, as you pass the word along, it changes. Yep. Um, and so when I, I sometimes do one-to-one um, civility lessons, we call them. <laughs> with, I like that. And That's I've done good. that here. Yeah. And I've done that at other high schools where I do I have five sessions to help kids sort of analyze conflict, analyze emotional intelligence, mm-hmm. think about... Um, what happened we always do a conflict analysis like so what happened that got you suspended and then we talk through it and then we walk through moment by moment what happened and what choices they could have made and what was actually happening and how they were feeling and and then I always ask the question so was that first hand information or second hand information the kids say well, what do you mean and so I'll explain and they'll go oh well, I guess that was second hand information because you heard it from a friend that you trusted mm-hmm. yeah and what did you discover well I discovered it wasn't quite right it wasn't quite that wasn't right. quite what the person said. Um, so when I do these f- five civility lessons, um, I talk about the first hand, second hand. And a, an assistant principal told me recently that there was one of the kids from those sessions was in a situation with another kid, and said to that kid, "Wait a minute, wait a minute, that's second hand information." 
and I think we may be misinterpreting. Ah, good. And so, good. and so that was like, <laughs> you know, wonderful moments in yeah. uh, in personal training. I so love it when that stuff happens. But the kid got the got the idea that oh, if I get it secondhand, maybe I really need to check with that person because we've mm-hmm. always gotten along. I can't believe they would say that about me. But instead, there's a pressure in the high schools and middle schools to react. Yeah. To when you hear something negative, you react to it instead of respond to it, which is mm-hmm. a thought out reaction. So getting back to conflict, most of the conflict that you see in middle and high school that I get to work with is often two-way harm. You know, the drama or someone hurt somebody or someone hit somebody and hit them back and, and um, right. <clears throat> or somebody said something and then they heard it and somebody else said something and they heard it and, and it causes upset and so on. Mediation is a good process for that because mm-hmm. mediation is you do pre-conferencing with everybody, one-on-one interviews, build the trust and rapport with, with each of the kids in the story. And sometimes it may be more than that. Here at this school, I've, been, I've worked with five, I've worked with 10, I've worked with 13 mm-hmm. that were in conflict with each other. And you always visit everybody one-on-one. We, I do not put people in the same room unless I know them, they know me, they know the process, they've been able to vent their stuff to me yeah. um, and talk about what happened. And we got a t- chance to analyze what happened and explain a process to them that we could use either a mediation model or the restorative conference model and then see what they want to do. So at the end of a, end of a, a pre-conference interview, it doesn't mean we're going to have a meeting with the other kid. Right. It, they may opt out, right? Yeah, I usually say, well, after I've heard all of this, then I'll say to them, well, you know, I can offer four things if you'd like, mm-hmm. and, and you don't have to do any of them. It's up to you. Um, I have no power, and it's up. To, it's, a, it's your choice. Right. You cede that over to them and let them. So it's yeah. a, it's autonomy. It's it's empowerment. Um, they can make a decision about how they want to res- respond to this situation. Um, and so then I'll say one option is if you would like to have a conversation with the other person to try to talk about what happened and maybe resolve some things, I can help you with that as a mediator. Mm-hmm. I don't say, do you want to do a mediation session? Right. I use the word conversation because the med- word mediation has gotten it's, its tone to yeah. it that people feel like I must have been bad, I must have been wrong, right. as opposed to conversation. Right. This is something that you're going to do to me. Right. Yeah. So I'll say, so if you'd like to have a conversation with the person, I can facilitate that for you as a mediator. Mm-hmm. And then I say, but you don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. And they usually smile like, okay. And I'll say, now if you want to communicate with them, but you don't want to sit with them and have that conversation... I can take notes for you on my laptop, and then when I see them at the end of our visit, I will share your words right. with them, your message with them. Mm-hmm. Um, I won't start with your message because I want them to start like we did, right. hearing, you know, letting mm-hmm. them speak. And the person goes, oh, that sounds okay. Another option is I'll be visiting with the other student later. If you'd like, uh, you can wait, and I can let you know what they want to do. Mm-hmm. Or we can just leave it be, and good luck. By that time, they often don't want to do the leave it be and good luck. A few, right. a few, <laughs> yeah. a few do, yeah. but yeah. but sometimes they'll say, "Well, let me just let me just wait and see what they want to do." Mm-hmm. Or somebody will say, "Oh, I want to meet. I'll meet two days ago at another school. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll meet." Okay. Yeah. Good. Um, or somebody will say, "Well, I don't, I don't know," and I'll say, "Then I'm going to be meeting with the other person later today. Is there anything you want them to know?" Mm-hmm. So that's sort of a, a, a repeat of sharing a message. Right. Is there anything you want them to know? And often I'll get something like, well, if, if she just won't talk about me, I won't talk about her, and a couple more things. Right, yeah. And I'll say, well, do you want me to write that down? Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. So then I start writing it down. I start crafting out their couple of sentences. Then I show it to them to make sure it's exactly what they want to say. We edit it if needed. Um, and then um, I say, now, if 
if I show this to them and then they say, well, what does she mean by that? I'll say, I don't know. I can't think like her. Mm -hmm. um, and the result of that is often there's a message back, like happened yesterday at another mm -hmm. school. We did, you know, what do you, is there anything you wanted to know? Yes. Pass it on. Talk to the other person. No, I don't want to meet. And then I said, well, um, there is something she'd like you to know. Oh, and then the person gets really curious. Like, do tell. Then I open the, then <laughs> yeah. I open the laptop yeah. and show it to them, and they read it, and they go, yeah, I can do that. Um, but I also want to do this. And they add a line. Uh -huh. And I said, well, let me get back to the other person. And so they were working towards an agreement? Is that what was happening? Well, it's, 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 a, it's a process you can call shuttle mediation. Right. So when like folks, shuttle diplomacy. Like shuttle diplomacy. <laughs> yeah. Mr. Obama, in one of his <laughs> yeah. first international meetings as president, he was at some conference with the you know, world leaders, and I read about it, and it said that there was one leader over here in the, in the room and another leader over there in the room. It was a, it was a big standing space yeah. that we're not getting along. And he shuttled back and forth a little bit for them <laughs> that day, I think. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, shuttle mediation is like a shuttle bus going back and forth from the, from the parking lot to the stadium you know, for the mm -hmm. games. Um, the mediator doesn't carry people. It carries information. Right. But everything is voluntary, and I always keep emphasizing that, you know. So when I give them the four options, you know, sometimes we'll get people who said, nope, and nope, don't want to do anything. Yeah. So, okay. And then what I'll do is say, well, I'll be back to your school. I come here once a week. Mm -hmm. um, can I check back in with you next week and see how it's going? And they'll say, yeah, let's do that. And sometimes a week later, they're ready to have a conversation. Right, thought about it. It's sad. Or they'll say, well, we talked about it ourselves. Or our parents got us all together. You know, okay. her parents came over to our house because my mm -hmm. mom, our moms are friends, and they right. came over and we all worked it out in the in the kitchen. You know, so it's what we do in this process with the pre-conference step is really open up the idea that this can be addressed. Mm -hmm. This can be addressed in a restorative, helpful kind of way because mm -hmm. mediation is a very restorative process. Right. It's not called a restorative mediation, but sometimes I call it that. Um, it's a very restorative process because you have people often who are were friends. They get in conflict. It's been weeks since they've been friends. They get in conflict. Other people have been feeding them the story. It seems so terribly right. adversarial. They might even hit each other. Mm -hmm. They get suspended for a day or two. They come back. The schools ask me if I would help do a restorative reentry process. Mm -hmm. And they miss each other. Yeah. And it was. And that only, I'm sure that also amplifies things, that, that frustration. You know, when they're still trying to work it out. Yeah, because some of them really feel a loss. Yeah. You know, they've, they've and I'll ask them that. So, so, so you were telling me that um, you used to be good friends for like a couple mm -hmm. of years. And you did stuff in school and out of school. And you knew each other's families. Do you miss that? And some kids will say, yeah. Yeah. And some kids will kind of sit up and go nope <laughs> nope we're done we're done and yeah. that may be that it was too much something happened that was just too yeah. much for them And but often what will happen we'll have some agreements that come out with let's not talk to each other let's leave each other alone let's not talk about each other um, please tell each other's friends to not be texting or anything just leave it alone and about three weeks later I'll see them in the school and they'll say we're speaking again yeah um, good but at that time they needed to be a separate and they needed to be able to state how they wanted to be separate yeah and it seems to help so that's sort of the mediation model and I do mediation in schools I've done mediation in the community for government agencies for businesses for neighborhood folks for families that are that are struggling or divorcing um, 
so you know variety of community mediation and business mediation as well as school mediation okay um, so uh, when when it comes to the idea like we've been tossing around the term restorative this restorative that what uh, I, I mean I think I have a grasp on what it is intending but I, I want to make sure that you know since since this is something where we're trying to help inform people a little bit more about this what is intended by the term restorative when you place it in front of like conference or circles or, or whatever what's mm -hmm. the idea I think the primary restoration is the relationship so like human beings restoring it back to its prior uh, state as much as, as, you, much can. as you can't right you know, yeah if you, if you spill right. milk you can't get it all back in the in the carton right. if you break a window you can't you have to replace it or, or yeah. patch it up yeah you know you may not be able to restore it to where you were on the other hand sometimes it improves the relationship True. because whatever the conflict was with a, was a cathartic event for them in their relationship of not understanding or feeling feeling misunderstood or feeling mistrusted but they really care about each other and after going through the catharsis of the conflict where they expressed themselves that harmed each other, hurt each other, um, sometimes folks are able to talk through that, recognize their own contribution to the problem, apologize to each other. It's not a requirement. Mm -hmm. Apologize to each other. Forgive each other. It's not a requirement. Um, and continue their working relationship. Right. But human beings are constantly in relationship. I drove over here today. I was in relationship with everybody on the road. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know? For better or worse. Better or worse. <laughs> we're all in relationship. And I was impressed at how collaborative we were. And yeah. I think about traffic yeah. and I think about we really do, we want to preserve ourselves. We don't want to get harmed. We want to protect our cars so we don't have to call the insurance company and get that fixed. Mm -hmm. And we don't want to be liable for anything. But those are all rules and regs around how we are in relationship, even on the road. Yeah. Um, so what, what restorative work does is helps rebuild or restore relationship that has been harmed or gone awry or experienced conflict. But most of restorative practice is what I'm going to call pre-storative. 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 Yeah. Proactive. Prevention. Yeah. Um, we often talk about... Uh, you know, how do we prevent conflict? How do we res how do we resolve conflict? But we often don't talk about how do we do conflict, like and sort of setting the the stage so that should it occur, we know how to deal with yeah. it. Yeah. How do we how do we work with each other? How do we talk with each other? How do we listen to each other? Um, how do we deal with differences? And so the pre-storative part of the the collection I just gave you from the frame of mind of the teacher to the one-to-one -one skills of speaking and listening to the te to the kids to the classroom circles for building community, to the, to the response to behavior with mediation or restorative conferencing, mm -hmm. that array of, of um, restorative practices is mostly proactive. Right. The frame of mind, the one-to-one -one skills, the classroom circles, that's all proactive. That's all building relationship, building community. And then when things fall apart, we've got mediation to help get it, get it back and mm -hmm. restore the relationship. We've got restorative conference when it's one-way one, one harm. Mm -hmm. um, to help restore the relationship yeah. so it's mostly proactive right okay so restorative practices is sort of a misnomer in a way mm -hmm. because everybody when when folks hear oh restorative justice and education restorative practice great that means that when kids hurt each other we can get it fixed yeah that's kind of I've, I've gotten that vibe from some people when like i've been approached to do some of this like i don't i don't go as deep as what you do but you know, like when I've experienced it, I've had somebody like, hey, we got this thing that happened. We can do this. And I was like, well, tell me about it before, <laughs> before I go. Yeah, I don't want I don't I don't think we want to go in just assuming this is all going to go peachy. Right. You know, and it, but it, 
I think that that's something that does come from, you know, like, like we were talking earlier, there's, um, you know, there's been a lot more media uh, around this that's come to the front, so people are aware of it. But I don't know, you know, because it, you know, they might be getting it in drips and drabs, you know, maybe there's an article from Edgetopia that comes out about how you can do this thing, but it may not go into why you would do it, you know, and, and things like that. Um, it's, it, it's, a, it's a complex process. It is. It is. And, you know, it's, it's sort of like, um, you know, I, I know how to facilitate a conversation in my classroom. Therefore, I can do a restorative conference where people have really harmed each other. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like saying, I can put a Band-Aid on a cut. Therefore, I can do brain surgery. There's a complexity that's, mm-hmm. that there's, there are. There's a context. There's a complexity. There's a looking at what has happened, what's been harmed, and what methods do we use to to restore those. Yeah. Um, you know, brain surgery is a restorative process. How, how do sure we help is. the brain yeah. get back to where it was? Right. Or open heart surgery is a restorative process and a and a, and a preservation process. How do we mm-hmm. preserve the life and restore the health? Um, back in the day when I was part of the FSR associate group with my colleagues, one of my colleagues had been a nurse by training and by work for many years. And one day she said, you know, Bob, as mediators, we're doing a community health process service. Yeah. And I said, no, we're not. We're mediators. And I thought about, <laughs> and I thought about it. And yes, yeah. we are. Right. We're in mediation, restorative practices. Yeah. It's kind of a community health piece. Mm-hmm. not, And it's kind of a mental health piece, but not in the professional mental health responders that I have. That's not my right. area. No, no. But but we provide we provide knowledge, skills, and methods for working with human relationship. And school is all about human relationship. Well, and it's, it's interesting too because I mean that shows some of the evolution through working on this too. Is you see what's happening as something that contributes to a healthy sense of being. Mm-hmm. So for individuals, for pairs, and for groups. For groups, right? Um, um, and and. I wanted to get back to, and we're, we're starting to get close to, uh, to our time, um, I wanted to get back to something you just said a little bit ago with a teacher who may be running a circle or whatever, I know how to do this. Um, is it ideal for a teacher who may be even running community circles to, if there is harm, also be the mediator of you know, like a harm circle or something um, if it occurred in their classroom? That depends on what happened. Um, if right. the whole class was involved, then a class circle, whole class circle might be useful. Mm-hmm. If it's two kids that happened in the classroom, now the other kids were affected, so we might want to do something about that. Right. But to, to run the whole circle around the two kids in conflict with all 20 kids from the classroom may not be appropriate for the two that were involved. Mm-hmm. It may not be appropriate for the rest of them. They were affected, but maybe the process would be help the two work it out and the two may decide we need to speak to our class and do something that's not necessarily a harm circle but well, it more depends of on like you, a, I'm not sure what you mean by a harm circle I guess and that's one of the <laughs> things I keep running into terms whenever I'm reading on this right. and I'm like maybe I'm maybe I'm completely off base with right. the term but like where somebody's you know done harm to someone else is what I've seen so that. let's and, say we're both 8th graders okay and wow. I did some harm right. to, I did some harm to you mm-hmm and it resulted in us ending up in the office. And then a facilitator at the school, a counselor or somebody, you know, in the system, like a um, student student support person of some sort, um, helps us talk it out with each other. 
right. helps it make either through a mediation model or through a restorative conference model. So that conflict or harm gets addressed for the two of us. Mm-hmm. But as you're mentioning, the whole class was affected by us doing whatever we did mm-hmm. in the classroom. Teacher was affected, class was affected. So it might be something we decide after we've worked it out to go to our class and speak to them about it. Mm-hmm. So then we're talking about a whole class meeting uh, that the teacher, now that's gonna, we're going to call that a responsive circle, okay. not a proactive community right. building circle. Okay. And, and I would recommend not doing that until you have a system already built in your class of doing weeks and weeks and weeks of proactive community building circles. Mm-hmm. So you have the routine. You and have, you have a forum already. You have a forum. You've got yeah. your norms. You've got your format. Kids are used to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you might come in one day and say, "Say, well, you know, I've been told by Bob and Darren that they would like to speak to you all tomorrow mm-hmm. in a circle about what they did in our class the other day that, where they ended up in the office and they ended up getting suspended. Mm-hmm. They've worked it out with each other, and now they would like to work it out with you. Okay. So that's different. Now that's a very responsive circle. So, mm-hmm. And you need somebody who knows what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> to facilitate that. And if you're the teacher and you've had some training in proactive circles and you've run 10, 15 proactive circles and you've got that system in your classroom, you know, eight, 10 minutes, like we just, you know, mm-hmm. uh, like we described mm-hmm. before. Yeah. Now you're going to s- shift from a proactive community building circle to a responsive circle on how to make things right for the whole class. And that'd be a nice system. But it takes steps. It would take work with the two that were involved Mm -hmm. help them resolve how they want to resolve and then invite them or maybe they'll already decide themselves to do something with the the kids now of course it's voluntary for them if you invite them would you like to do something for the class now Mm -hmm. they might say oh I'm not going to do that one of them might say yeah I want to do that Mm -hmm. and then we would say well here's how we could do it so pre-conference with that kid about that with the class Mm -hmm. and let the class know it's coming um, right, so that it's not just like this huge, awkward surprise. Yeah, right. <laughs> One thing right. I tell the kids that I'm working with in pre-conference is, um, you know, if I'm meeting with student A about something that happened with with student B, then at the end of the time where I've offered them the four options, and I'll say, okay, well, I'll check in with the other person and I'll let you know. But when I invite you back, don't worry, the other person won't be sitting here. Mm-hmm. I don't want there to be any surprises for you, so that you you can trust that it'll be safe for you. Yeah, um, yeah. Because I, I mean, just through the course of our conversation, that seems to be sort of the the groundwork for everything. The foundation is mm-hmm. there has to be the sense of safety mm-hmm. and trust and trust. <clears throat> so if the kids trust the facilitator, the process can go pretty well. If mm-hmm. you don't trust the facilitator, it makes it a little more challenging, right? Because you don't know if they're going to take sides with the other person or they're going to disregard what you have to say. So one of the key skills we use in pre-conferencing and in mediation and sometimes in restorative conference is paraphrasing, open plus open-ended questions plus clarifying questions. Mm-hmm. Not putting ourselves into it as a facilitator, but reflecting back what we heard from them as a paraphrase, such as, so it sounds like you were very frustrated with the other person, and, and when you were speaking to him, you were getting loud because you were frustrated. And then you were surprised when he pushed you. Mm-hmm. So that's that's not saying you shouldn't have pushed him. Right. That's acknowledging what was happening with that kid, including the feelings of what they were saying mm-hmm. and the facts of what they were saying. Um, and if you do that, they feel heard, 
And what mm-hmm. I'm finding for kids and adults, if people feel heard, it takes them a long way down the road to resolving things. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if you've acknowledged with a feeling word once in a while, that's like, oh, you really heard me deeply. Yeah. You really understood yeah. me. You didn't just hear me. You understood me. Mm-hmm. And that builds trust with the facilitator and builds trust for the process. Yeah. I find that actually true with the instructional coaching work I do. Um, you know, sometimes you'll come into a situation with a teacher where they're really frustrated about, you know, maybe they feel like something's being done to them from on high and, and they don't understand where it's coming from. And so, you know, you have a conversation where there's a lot of emotion. And if you're paraphrasing, sometimes they're like, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm thinking. And, and it helps it helps yeah. them feel validated. Right. You're not agreeing with them. If I'm paraphrasing what you said, I'm not agreeing with you. I'm just acknowledging you. Right. So paraphrasing is simply an acknowledgement that I heard you and I heard you deeply when I add the feeling words. Mm-hmm. Um, and folks, what I find also is folks will then speak more after you paraphrase. Yeah, yeah. So if they true. told you, if they told you. This guy's hearing what I'm saying, so. I can talk to him. Yeah. 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 And I find that I get more information. I don't do it intentionally. It just happens. If I paraphrase, they keep talking. Mm-hmm. If I paraphrase again, they talk more. So mm-hmm. I can go from two sentences of their speech, paraphrase, and then four more sentences. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then a page. And then a mm-hmm. chapter. I also pose qu- clarifying questions mm-hmm. or yeah, open-ended questions. Yeah. Open-ended questions invite people to tell a story. Like, I could ask you a series of questions like, so Darren, what time did you get up this morning? Did you have any caffeine? Did you have any protein? Is there anybody at your house you have to take care of? Did you get out of your house on time? Did you drive to work? Did you did you have any traffic problems? Did you get here on time? Did you find, like, everything that you needed before this interview? You know, that's, <laughs> that's like, I'm the, I'm, the, I'm the listener, but I'm not right. listening. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm working off a assuming checklist. I already know the answer, yeah. and I'm just getting verification for you, as opposed mm-hmm. to an open-ended question like, so can you tell me about getting up and getting ready and making your way over here today? Yeah. And then you get to tell the story. Right. And often when you do that, you get much more information about mm-hmm. all the different things that happened. Or well, and you'll get to hear what I think is is relevant to the conversation. Like, oh, God, yeah, well, this uh, my dog, you know, had an accident before I took, took her out, you know. Right. I couldn't get there in time, so that's what I did this morning. And that's yeah. why I'm late today. <laughs> right, yeah. So, you know, like stuff like that, you know. So, yeah, I see that, yeah. So the skills that you know we're talking about are listening skills, paraphrasing skills, questioning skills. They all sound common and normal for all of us, which they are. Mm-hmm. But there's a refinement to them that, you know, when, when, when trained in how to use them and then practicing, you start to do – I was – I was doing a workshop over in Chesterfield County, and one of the teachers in the group asked a question, and then I, a couple of people said something, and I kind of paraphrased what they said, and the person said, how do you do that? <laughs> I said, what? I said, well, the language you use, and you're not taking sides, and you, I said, that's what I thought 20-some years ago when I sat with Barry Hart, who was on the phone with a co- person in conflict. He was the mediator listening to the mm-hmm. person, and I could kind of hear what the person was saying. And I wanted to jump in and say them to the person on the phone and give my opinion and stuff. He didn't do any of that. And I thought, how can I be like that? And that right. was 20-some years ago. And so yeah. apparently I've caught on a little bit because <laughs> this teacher said something yeah. like that the other day. Yeah. It was, but you get used to that after a while, and it's I find it hard to get 
to go the other way anymore. Oh yeah, I'm, yeah. You've kind of gotten either yourself don't say acclimated anything, to that, right? Or to I that mode. Want to paraphrase? Yeah. But you got to be careful. Don't paraphrase too much. Right. Because somebody said, "Would you stop the techniques?" You know, yeah. that's with friends. Right. But in process, it's it seems to be welcome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah. So um, I wanted to. Uh, you had mentioned the Olria. Olveus. Olveus. Okay. I wrote I wrote it down, and it looks like an R. I'm, my handwriting is atrocious. Right. Um, the Olveus model, you'd mentioned about bullying, and I know mm-hmm. you do some work around bullying. <laughs> yeah. I hadn't heard that before um, So about Olveus. Mm-hmm. Um, so well, Dan could you Ol- clarify what that is? Yeah, or? Dan Olveus is a fellow from Sweden who did a lot of work in Norway, and he was doing work on bullying prevention in Norway when there were some very tragic things that happened with some young folks. Mm-hmm. Um, and the parliament said, we got to do something about this. And so was this were, that big camp shooting? No, it was before that. Oh, okay. Um, this right, was gotcha. where people had harmed themselves oh. because they had felt bullied coming up in their lives. Oh, wow. Okay. And they were young folks. And so right. the parliament said, we got to do something about this. And what do we do about Well, Dan happened to be doing research at the time, and so they mm-hmm. tapped him, and then his program got a lot of support. Then his program got t- brought to the United States, and um, folks in Virginia attended his his program and became sort of the lead trainers in Virginia and then it sort of blossomed from there. And for about 10 or 15 years, Olveus, the Olveus bullying prevention model was sort of the lead model on how to respond to bullying. Okay. Um, and bullying has a couple of definitions now. Dan's, Dan Olveus's mo- definition was, um, or is, uh, one person does harm to another, it's unwanted, um, and it's repeated over time. Okay. The, the U.S. Department of Education's website stopbullying.gov now has a definition that includes um, potential the word potential so instead of repeated over time has the potential to be repeated so that so if you've seen me around the school bullying Mm -hmm. people and I do something once to you then I might you might feel association that it's coming it's coming and therefore in your mind it's bullying Uh, because it's going to be repeated. So then does that place the concept of bullying as more of something like sort of the state of mind that it causes because you're anticipating, or is that? And that would be getting into that That would be getting definition. into that area. I, and I can't okay. define that. For okay, me. gotcha. Um, but the, the, um, the Olveus model for bullying prevention says we do not mediate bullying cases. Okay. And just like the, the Code of Ethics for Mediators in Virginia, Certified Mediators in Virginia, we don't mediate domestic abuse right that's bullying it's the same right. thing yeah abuse is not common conflict it's not equals in conflict it's one doing harm having power over the other and so mediation is not a good model for that right um, it can actually cause the victim to feel more victimized right in certain ways mm-hmm. um, there are processes happening where a restorative conference where the one who did the harm first starts with acknowledging they did it, which is often not what a bully person right, does. Yeah. Um, and there's a balancing of power, and the parent of the kid who's there is not there to say, my kid didn't do anything. The parent of the, ch- of the child who did the bullying or the harm is there to help make things right with the other family. Okay. And there's community in the room, like the assistant principal or the guidance counselor or someone else. You've balanced power. You've changed the whole context. You provided a lot of support for the one that was harmed. And it's voluntary. Right. So the one that was harmed said, no, I don't want to do this. Then they don't. They don't. Yeah. But there, there are cases around where we've had some success with carefully, carefully done, carefully, carefully considered 
well prepared. Yeah, it seems really fraught. It's getting to the brain yeah. surgery level, right? Um, where you really have to know what you're doing if you want to if you want to ask someone who's been harmed repeatedly and over time by one someone who's been bullied if they would like to have a restorative process with them. Mm-hmm. You got to really know what you're doing. They, yeah. I was part of a team that was up in Pennsylvania for about two years from around the country. We would meet, and we came up with this white paper, and it's um, it's online. Okay. On, on if you could send me the link to that, that okay. way I can, because what I'll do is I'll, I'll I'll post it, okay, so that people who listen to this can then follow up. And on, this was from this. leaders in the field of mediation mm-hmm. and um, bullying prevention, and some Oveas people were there, um, and the outcome was. We can use people from restorative practices and mediation and bullying prevention were there, and we can use a restorative conferencing model to respond to bullying if we have a well-trained, well-practiced facilitator who understands the restorative conferencing and understands bullying. Mm-hmm. However, be very, very cautious, very, very cautious, right? Very, very cautious. That you're not setting up the person to be harmed again with your process. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was a cautionary white paper that came out. Mm -hmm. It it explained, it talked about building, it talked about restorative conferencing, it talked about how it might be used and all the cautions to consider. Okay. Now, there are some folks that I know that do this, and I've done this, Mm -hmm. and very cautiously, carefully done, we're finding that the person who was harmed is grateful for the process. Um, The one who did the harm acknowledges they did it, and it seems to improve for everybody. Good, good. But again, caution, caution, caution. Right now, and I mean, yeah, that that seems like a really delicate situation yeah. because it is different than we had this blow up, this flare up thing that happened versus this is happening regularly and it's mm-hmm. not always with. And one. it's yeah. it's an imbalance of power and it's abuse. Yeah, it's not right. basic harm and it's not equals in conflict. Mm-hmm. It's abuse. Right. That's what bullying is, the, the definition is. Yeah. Or it's yeah. harassment, which is abuse. Right. Um, so, like I said, we're getting close to the end. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I want to make sure that, you know, and I try to do this when, I, when I'm talking with people, is there something that either you wish I would have asked or something you'd like to add that um, maybe we didn't cover? Because uh, I, I want to make sure if, the, if you feel like there's something that needs to be added into the conversation that, that we do so. Um, well, there's... One thing I do in the training is I have this contrasting, two contrasting lists, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's statements about a traditional response to behavior in schools, traditional discipline, versus restorative response or restorative discipline. These are two different lists, um, one called traditional discipline, one called restorative discipline. On the traditional side, wrongdoing is a violation of rules. Mm-hmm. On the restorative side, wrongdoing is a violation of people mm-hmm. and relationship mm-hmm. relationships. Um, interesting contrast right there. Yeah. Next one. Traditionally, violations create guilt. Restoratively, violations create obligations. Hmm. So on the traditional side, it's like the state or the institution versus the person. Mm-hmm. On the traditional side, I mean the restorative side, it's like how are we doing with each other? <laughs> right. Okay. How can we improve things with each other? How so do we see it's like one it? side's systemic and the other side's personal? A bit more. Yeah. So wrongdoing is a violation of rules is the state or the institution. Mm-hmm. Violation of people and relationships, that's us. Right. 
And that's what I deal with as a facilitator, helping people with the relationships. Yeah. It also helps with the rules. Yeah. Because rules are simply written down ways for us to be in relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, then violations create guilt. Okay, you broke the rule, you're guilty. That's traditional. So that guilt is more like imposed guilt by the by the law or, or mm-hmm. whatever. It's not like self It may not be self Okay, It right. may not be a, a feeling okay. of that Because when inside. I heard you originally when you were bringing it up, I was thinking that that was what it was. So, okay. And so from a restorative point of view, we, we're thinking that it's it's coming from within mm-hmm. as opposed to being imposed external. from out, externally. Yeah. So violations create guilt on the traditional side. Violations create obligations. That's a sense of responsibility that I did something to you. Now I have an obligation to do mm-hmm. something to help you because mm-hmm. I did something that harmed you. Um, another one, justice on the traditional side, justice requires action by authorities to impose blank on offenders mm-hmm. punishment. Mm-hmm. On the restorative side, justice involves active participation by those harmed, those who did the harm, and community members in order to make things right. So the contrast is, one is the state is going to harm you in order to prevent you from doing this again, and maybe to get a little vengeance. Right. On the restorative side, the process is to recognize that I violated relationships, I have an obligation to do something, and I should make things right with you. Mm-hmm. That's the restorative side. And then the last one on this is the focus is on the blank, traditionally, the focus is on a bunch of things, restoratively, and we're going to say the traditionally the focus is on the offender. Right. The state goes after the one who did the harm. The school goes after the one who did the harm, does investigations, suspends them, talks to right. the parents, the et cetera, et cetera, part. the discipline part. But in the, the restorative side, the focus is on the one harmed and the harm itself. Mm-hmm. So we're focusing more on the relational piece instead of the institutional piece. And um, as a facilitator, using that frame of mind, that restorative frame of mind that, you know, violation of people and relationships, obligations, make things right, and focus on the one harmed. Because often, you know, the institutional way, we often don't focus on the one who's harmed. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if I harm you in the community, they come after me. Mm-hmm. What do they do for you? Right. Well, you can hire a lawyer and sue me. Yeah. But that's on you. Because mm-hmm. the, the organization doesn't really work with the one who was harmed. But restoratively, mm-hmm. we think about how do we take care of the one that was harmed. Mm-hmm. And what I found in the Obeus Bullying Prevention Model was, how do we take care of the one that was harmed? Yeah. So yeah. because those two had the same guiding principle, we could participate in that uh, white paper that I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Can we make those two work since we have the same guiding principle of take care of the one that was harmed? Okay. And how do we do that? Yeah. So well, Great. How do we do? Are we doing okay? <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Yeah? You think so? That's been fun. Yeah? Good. I, I mean, I've had I fun. I really... hour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I usually do 20-hour training, so... 20-hour? Like, well, it can be. Oh, I'm doing okay. five days of oh training gosh. with Newport News. That's That's um, got to be exhausting. Uh, maybe... I don't know. Folks do you mean like... It's in... It's got to be... F- over five days. So okay. it's six so it's hours like, per day. Okay. Uh, so right. that's... I didn't expect... That's 30 I wasn't hours. thinking 20 nonstop, but I was yeah. thinking... Oh, well, my like first basic thing? Well, thanks again for, for doing this. And uh, how, how can people get in touch with you if, they, if they're looking to reach out? Well, what I've been telling you about is working in the schools, and mm-hmm. I do that as a contractor with the schools. Mm-hmm. So I'm, my organization is um, well, it's a private practice called Garrity Mediation and Consulting. Okay. And I have a website, which is GarrityMediation.com, okay. which has phone can, numbers can and emails Can you spell it? Because I want to make sure that... Yeah. 
It's G-A-R-R-I-T-Y M-E-D-I-A-T-I-O-N dot com. Okay. Not meditation or medication. No meditation or medication. But, uh, <laughs> Those are other Gar- businesses. GarityMediation.com. Yeah. So the website has some information about the services provided and uh, contact information um, and a resume and things like that. Okay. Um, well, thanks again. This has been really, really good. I appreciate it. And I'm sorry once again we had that little flub there, but uh, not we, a we, we recovered, I think. So. Not a problem. So cool. Well, thanks a lot. All right. Thank you very much. Yeah. Good. So once again, thank you to Bob. I am so glad that I got a chance to do this. Um, it was uh, it was really enlightening stuff for me. Um, and you know what it also did was it it, it kind of made me realize just how much we rely on schools to really help kids learn to be who they are. You know, I mean, every school wants to do that, and some schools are able to do it better than others. But uh, with with the type of things that uh, restorative practices can do, and mediation, and those types of approaches, they've been starting to show some uh, some definite results in helping kids stay in school, not get kicked out, coming to terms with you know things that they've done or uh, or how they've affected their community. So. Um, I appreciate Bob coming in to share that with us. It was uh, definitely really powerful information. Um, once again, remember to visit the website. It's theednarrative.com. Uh, we have our blog posts that go out every Monday morning, and then podcasts come out on the 15th of the month. I am going to have a supplement to this one. I'm not sure yet if Bob's going to write it or if I'm going to put that together, but that way uh, you have a little bit of extra information that you can pull from if you just want something to skim over, kind of a cheat sheet. So anyway, thank you for listening. Once again, remember you can also catch the podcast on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or Google Play. Uh, Leave a review if you would. Um, I also have a Twitter account and i'm on facebook although that one uh we need to be friends so anyway um catch us next time when we have john almerode i'm looking forward to it and i'm sure you guys are too that's it catch you later